We are back with another episode of Movie Talk on the Legit Cool Podcast. And today is the very first episode of our legacy series where we focus on one director and move through the entire slate of films they have directed to date in chronological order of release. Joining me on this journey is, of course, the powerhouse cinephile, the one and only Nathan Sammy. G'day, River. How are you today, bro? <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm pretty good. You're pretty good. <laughs> I am pretty good. I'm psyched to do this uh, legacy series because it's always been something that I've been wanting to do for a while. Where we, where I get to just talk about. Uh, it's 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 a bit biased, you know. I want to talk about my favorite directors, but I also want to put it out there to guys like yourself and maybe even to JC too, who also features on the podcast. Um, where we can discuss your favorite directors and some of the films that they've done. So the Legacy Series, which is what you coined, you've hashtag and you coined that Legacy Series. So um, I'm going to gladly keep that in your court. Um, but yes, with the Legacy Series, we're going to be focusing on Christopher Nolan. This is going to be pretty exciting. And of course, my name is River Villy, and I'm the resident host of Legit Cool Podcast, where we analyze, critique, recap, and review films eventually draw our own conclusions to give our personal rating um so we're kicking off the series yes with christopher nolan best known for his cerebral often non-linear storytelling um acclaimed writer director christopher nolan was born on july 30th 1970 in london england over the course of 15 years of filmmaking nolan has gone from low budget independent films to working on some of the biggest blockbusters ever made at the age of seven, Nolan began making short films with his father's Super 8 camera. While studying English literature at University College London, he shot 16mm films at UCL's Film Society, where he learned the guerrilla techniques where he would later use to make his first feature film, The Following, which came out in 1998. And we're not reviewing The Following. I don't know, a lot of people are probably going to be a little bit annoyed by the fact that we're not doing his very first film um but there is a reason for that and i'll come back to that in a second but the following that came out in 1998 was on a budget of around six thousand dollars the noir thriller was recognized at a number of international film festivals prior to its theatrical release and gained nolan enough credibility that he was able to gather substantial financing for his next film memento all right so memento is a film that came out in 2000 and i decided that we start on memento because this is what really made him recognizable as a filmmaker um sort of a nolan way of filmmaking um this put him on the map and this is what definitely uh let's say i was gonna say moisturize his career but that's not the right <laughs> i got it i think it's if following was a way of uh of formation for nolan Memento is part of, I guess, the the initiation into what would be his legacy. Yeah. It would kind of create the archetypical, I think we'll use this word before, archetypical Nolan film. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. You took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> so yes, Memento is kind of the, the blueprint that Nolan uses as his... Uh, most notable way of making films as we move throughout all the films. So that's why I decided to start on this one. And there's also 10 films that he's made to date, and 10 is a nice round number. Um, and so Memento is something that I haven't actually visited for a long time. 
um, only until recent when we're thinking about doing this review and recap for it. It brought up a lot of really nostalgic feels from when I was watching films a long time ago, and this is how I came across Christopher Nolan. Um, so, yeah, this is going to be pretty pretty exciting. Often recognized for his Dark Knight trilogy, Nolan's films include the following Memento, Insomnia, Batman Begins, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet, and he is currently in pre-production for his newest film, Oppenheimer, which would be his 11th film. Uh, yeah, first film. Recap and review, Memento. How do you feel about this? I feel pretty excited. I think <laughs> the fun part of Nolan's films for a legacy series is that we have some really meaty stuff to jump into. And... The other uh, directors, which we've already talked a little bit about, but we'll say for uh, future podcasts, they all have very exciting elements to what makes them great filmmakers. But I think even in and amongst that crowd, I think Nolan's uh, science fiction-based themes and concepts, they really do set him apart. So I think that's what's going to make this very exciting, going into this series and starting off this series as a whole. Um, so maybe I want to start with you, Nathan. Maybe just give me your like two minute, two to three minute impression of the film. Did you like it? Did you love it? Did you not like it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, my two minute impression. Um, so <laughs> I've watched this film uh, several times over the years, and uh, coming back for a rewatch just now uh, was with with the idea of coming into casting with you. I was looking at it with a different lens and I was quite astounded, I think, by the storytelling, particularly the storytelling. And I think uh, with this film having such a, and this will be a strong theme for this whole series, such a strong concept that is then followed through in a very, not an overly complex story so much as a complex concept and a simple story. <laughs> I, I think, I think that, it just makes it enjoyable because the complexity of the concept makes it so hard to follow this story. And I think that's the point. And because it's a simple story with a complex concept, every single twist and turn is wild because you're experiencing it with the protagonist. And uh, so if you're up for like a thriller and you want to have um, shock moments, but you also want a bit of a think piece, like, yeah. And that's what I want when I'm coming into a drama a lot of the time. I think for me, it's not as much emotion as it is uh, a logic puzzle. That's what I like when I go into a drama is what's the logic puzzle here? What's the, the thing to be solved? Uh, why am I following this character or these characters? And why are they doing what they're doing? And I think what's so great about this movie is at every single point you understand why everyone, and particularly Guy Pearce, is doing what they're doing. <laughs> and what's great is that the twists are that at first you think people are doing one thing, and later you find out that they're actually doing something entirely different. Um, yeah, that was a very non-spoiler little... Hey, you did pretty good, me, though. But... You did pretty good, because I'm, I'm sort of sitting here thinking, like, listening to you thinking, yeah, I don't know if I could talk that much about this film without spoiling anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I guess I was like, if I start spoiling, we may as well just jump into the recap. So I was like, mm. oh, into, yeah, into our recap. So 
that, but for me, uh, absolutely love it. But then I'm also a little bit tired, and this is also a little Nolan thing for me, is sometimes because of the concept being so complex, I actually find these stories can be a little bit dull. Uh, and they're made interesting because of his concept. And I, for some part of this film, and with what the the concept was, and the, the core concept of the film is memory loss, or short, short-term memory loss, and how that plays on what's true and what's false, or what's reality and what's illusion or a dream. I, um, yeah, I find that the story is a little dull for me. <laughs> mm. And mm. that that's actually something where I dock points. Uh, but otherwise, it's a pretty almost perfect film for me. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. What about you, bro? <laughs> uh, for me, I, I love this movie. I really, really love this movie. I, I think the last time I saw it before I rewatched it to do this recap uh, might have been three years ago. And I can still vividly remember most of the sequences. Um, for the most part, the storytelling I can vividly remember. There are some moments where I was rewatching it again, thinking that wasn't the... F- that wasn't the movie. Like, you know, I, I think in like some of these nuggets seem quite important for the story. And I was like, how did I miss that? Mm, um, mm. I found myself having to rewind a couple of times. Uh, yep, yep. Um, just because I was kind of confused, which is, it's not, it's not a surprise. Fine. You're going <laughs> to get confused watching this movie. Um, mm. You have to pay close attention, but um, other than having to jump back a couple of times, rewinding it, I understood the story much easy, much more this time in an easier way. Um, and I found myself actually caring a lot more for the character, uh, mm. for Guy Pearce's character. Mm. Um, not so much in a really sympathetic way, because there is, there is a, a sense of, how do I put it? There's a sense of like narcissism that he has as a character. Um, and it's, it, it's done in a sort of humble way, which is, you probably shouldn't use those two words in the same sentence, like humble and narcissism, but um, it's, I guess I'm trying to say that there is some, there's, there's a lot of conflicting notions that happen in this film. And I think narcissism and, um, and, and having humility sort of play hand in hand at the same time while mm. he's going through this investigation. Mm. Um, so, I picked up on a lot more things. Like I took so many notes. My this is like my notepad here. Like obviously the listeners can't see, but this is my notepad here. I have like pages of it. <laughs> Whoa, that's a lot of notes. That's I'm a um, notes, yeah. I'm a dedicated one page per film person, which is that's rough actually probably because... a better system though. It's good, but then I I remember new things or other things. But what I like is I'm like I'm a bit dot points, and then I'll just add to set kind of core ideas mm. on other thoughts I have, but. Yeah, it, it works for me. I, I, I need to have a things slip from, from my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, things, yeah, things will slip from my mind if I put them on separate pages. I'll forget where they were. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Like sometimes I'll write on the next page and I'll be like, "What did I write on the previous page?" Though, <laughs> exactly. well, I almost thought of just tattooing everything onto my leg. <laughs> he gave me some ideas. That's for sure. He gave me some ideas. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, so I, I love this film. Like narratively, it's one of the strongest films that can contend, like maybe even in like the top ten films of all time, in my opinion, because mm. the, the narrative is 
in my mind, it's it's so. Uh, I feel like any description that I give this movie is going to be understated. You know, any right. adjective right. that I give is going to be like underwhelming for it because it, there's so much that happens on screen. There's so much that happens in the script. So much that happens within the dialogue, which is mm. interlaced with the script, that it's complicated but still surprisingly easy to follow. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if you get that, but um, I got that the first time I saw Memento, which was like years ago. I saw it like I don't. Know, I, I want to say I saw it for the first time fifteen years ago, probably. Yeah. Like that. I didn't see it in the year that it came out. I was like way too young when it came out, so I wasn't quite aware of it. Well, I mean, I wasn't quite aware of a lot of films that were coming out at that time because I was so young. But I saw it around about sort of 2005, you know, let's say five or six years after the release. And I found myself really confused about the script, but I could follow what was going on. Yeah. Um, and then rewatching it again today, I feel like I can follow it still, but still see that it's quite complicated and convoluted. But I, w- I don't want to say that in a negative sense. I think it's convoluted for all the right reasons. Mm. Um, but yeah, and there's there's some characters that I still kind of like in this, but I also saw some characters were a little bit wasted mm-hmm. sometimes. And we'll, we'll get into that when we get into the spoilers or when we get into the proper recap. Um, well, I'll yeah, mention some of the characters that I think are a little bit too wasted. But yeah, I love it. I'd probably give this movie... <laughs> I won't give it a ranking now. I'll give it I'll give the ranking later. We'll but, save um, that for the end. We'll save that for the end. But yeah, I love it. And I think everybody should definitely, definitely watch something like Memento. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a masterclass in filmmaking. Yeah. Hundred percent. Um, and and part of that guerrilla techniques, it's like part of that is reminding us. And I think in many ways it's reminding us of what Hollywood has been and what film can be and it, it it should even if it might be daunting it should be inspiring to people about thinking how can we tell stories in ways which aren't linear <laughs> yeah <laughs> because because yeah. our, li- our life isn't linear in many ways we think of ourselves as components as themes as seasons as um different elements you know we we think of our careers or our families and those all have individual stories. So I think that Nolan really takes a good hold of that and takes key themes in his stories and tells, tells a story through those key themes instead. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I think particularly when you mix that with this movie in the sense that this is a movie about twists and reveals built around like re- what's reality. I think that yes. makes it really yeah. um, just really clever. Just so done good <laughs> yeah it's a key it's a key piece of um observation to point out is that nolan like it's, it's probably easy to forget that he's actually just telling us really basic stories that we can relate to stories that yep. you would come across in everyday life um mm. but the concepts and the ideas that he uses to convey the stories are mm. obviously like very sci-fi elements and um less sci-fi in memento but you know when you think about movies like inception and Tenet, you know, that's like that. Those are very kind of sci-fi elements that he uses to convey hu- real human stories. Yeah, for sure, for sure, absolutely. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. When we get to that. <laughs> <I like. laughs> when we get to so those we, movies, 
exactly because we got heaps to get through in this recap you know like i said before we're gonna do this recap in four different sections so act one act two act three so it's in chronological order um even though the story is not in chronological order <laughs> and then we get to the conclusion and then we'll give our ranking so we're gonna start with act one um and we're just gonna pace through this nice and slow-ish <laughs> um <laughs> but we'll make sure we identify the key moments here okay yeah so the film starts off with the polaroid photo photograph of a dead man <laughs> even that beginning you're like okay cool <laughs> <laughs> then you see a sequence like go backwards in time and you're like okay this is not going to be a regular film <laughs> no. as the sequence plays backwards the photo reverts itself to under to its underdeveloped state Entering the camera before the man is shot in the head, the film then continues alternating between black and white and color sequences. Now, just from this like first couple of frames, what did you think you're getting yourself into? You'll probably have to cast your mind back to when you first the saw first the film, time. right? Yep. Like, I... how were you feeling when you saw that? Were you like, like, were you super excited, or were you like? <laughs> I don't know about this film. So something that everyone will start to learn in uh, legit cool podcasts is that I'm not very good with scary movies, but when it comes to, th- <laughs> but when it comes to thrillers, uh, which is also why I wasn't on our last cast for Scream. <laughs> exactly, you, you were um, you're sorely missed in I that. Was absent, um, thankfully for myself and my my uh, my sleep, I was absent. Uh, but when it comes to a thriller, and I remember this very distinctly for a film because. Uh, there was a good long while when I was living in Canberra. I used to just, while I was there, I'd just buy heaps and heaps of uh, cheap DVDs from like one of those secondhand DVD shops. And Memento was one of the ones I remembered buying back then. And sitting and watching um, this intro scene, I I love that um, sense of surrealism that you have where you're watching this. And, and, and at first it, it's like, oh, like he's just shaking a Polaroid to but exposed, but then you see it underexposed and then you see it zip back into the camera. And I think um, I was just like, oh, it's a dead man. And this is, this is just dark. And I'm in for a, a long ride to understand why I'm seeing this. Uh, and it's not so much that first scene, which is disconcerting, but the second scene, which is jumping to black and white and jumping to a very different point. <laughs> uh, that I was like, okay, you know, thinking caps on, let's go, let's go. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it was just, it's it's wonderful. I think it's very shocking and I think it's a another Nolanism of he trusts his audience to follow along and if they don't, they can watch it again, you know, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that. that's great. So I, I think I, I appreciate when someone shows and doesn't tell and then yeah. slowly tells. <laughs> slowly tells, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the first time I saw this and this is our opening scene and things were going in reverse. I was like, Oh my God. The first thing I thought was like, this movie is going to be badass because that's such a strong introduction. And I remember immediately looking up the director. I was like, who is this guy? (laughs) Um, And, you know, he was kind of a nobody back then. You know, he did, he had just only done Memento. I mean, he did the following prior to that when he was in university, Mm. but um, this opening sequence jarred me. I, I didn't know how to watch a film you know what i mean like it was it was so shocking that it was such a um let's say unconventional way of opening a film 
mm. that I found myself uh, disarmed as a viewer. I was like, oh, I don't really know how to watch this movie. Like, I feel really uncomfortable. Mm. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are going to feel the same way. You know, they watch this opening sequence. It's only like, say, a couple of minutes, maybe this opening sequence. And then it really starts to get into like uh, to what the story is going to pace out to be in terms of its dual storytelling process, right? Which is that black and white storytelling and then the color sequences, which is uh, two plots going in opposite directions. Yeah. Is, is that how you'd put it? Well, so I think um, uh, a nice way so for anyone who's listening to this cast who hasn't watched the movie and just wants to listen to this cast (laughs) the after the first scene going in reverse there's a black and white scene but then the next color scene is going in a linear forwards in time Uh, but every time that a color scene appears it plays anything from one to five minutes but then the next scene jumps back 10 minutes or Mm -hmm. to Present time, I think time. you're. Yeah, yeah. And so I think every... you're sort of led to believe that it's in the present time. I think in yeah. black and white. Yeah, and everything yeah, sorry, that's in color, everything that's in color, you're realizing is all that the protagonist uh, Lenny, all that the protagonist remembers. So anytime you see one scene, that's all that Lenny is remembering in that in that moment. And I, I think that's just just so smart and 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 you do notice because at the beginning of every color scene you'll have one clear um what would you call it um geographically like locating shot so you understand where you are and it will end with a very distinct shot of where you are now and then you'll find Mm. at the end of the last scene it'll catch up to that 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 point so you're at every moment and at the end of every scene, you're kind of regaining a sense of where you are before you're thrown away <laughs> into a different, into a different spot, into a different scene, into a different place. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's so good. Um, so let me uh, move a little bit further down Act One. Um, the black and white sequences begin with Leonard Shelby. AKA Lenny, <laughs> just a little bit of a tidbit for everybody to know who's the expert on Memento. Uh, doesn't like to be called Lenny. Uh, a former insurance investigator in a motel room speaking to an unseen and unknown caller. Leonard has anterograde, anterograde amnesia, which is um, severe amnesia that, that only exists post an incident. Um, which is obviously what we learn in this film, and is unable to store recent memories or create new ones. The result of an, of an attack by two men. Leonard explains that he killed the attacker who raped and strangled his wife, his wife Catherine, but a second clubbed him and escaped. The police did not accept that there was a second attacker, but Leonard believes the attacker's name is John G or James G, or otherwise always referred to as Jimmy. Um, Leonard investigates using notes, Polaroid photos, and tattoos to keep track of information he discovers. Lenny, uh, Leonard recalls Sammy Jenkins, another Antonegro uh, amnesiac. Did I, did I say Antonegro? No. Yeah, you did. Anterograde amnesiac from his insurance industry days. <clears throat> 
after tests confirm Sammy's inability to learn tasks through repetition, Leonard believed that his condition was at best psychological and perhaps faked and turned down his insurance claim. So, you know, just in this chunk here, um, this is all throughout maybe a good 20 minutes into the film, this Mm. whole part that I just explained here. Um, When we're introduced to these different characters, especially like the faceless guy known as Jimmy G um, and Sammy Jenkins, we actually don't really see Sammy Jenkins until a little bit later in Act One. Mm. But at what point of the film are you sort of navigating just within this uh, chunk of the film? Like, do you find the navigation a little bit too complicated? Is it all over the place? Mm, well, I so what what I find uh, really really sharp about the storytelling initially with this movie is that you're given Guy Pierce and you're given an understanding that this guy never knows where he is after a few minutes, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have what's so brilliant in this film is the alternating of both the scenes in black and white, which seem to be at an earlier time period in this this man's timeline, in Lenny's timeline, and the scenes that are taking place in colour, which seem to be action scenes in the present, they are so well interwoven that every new bit of information is first shown and then explained, shown in one scene in colour and then explained in black and white. And the black and white scenes are great because I think they're just him in his hotel room, either tattooing, writing notes, or talking on the phone to someone and explaining the story. And I think with the Sammy Jenkins part particularly, I think what's really cleverly done is you see at the beginning or at the end of one of the scenes, Sammy remember Sammy Jenkins tattooed on his hand, and that is the prompt for him to tell the story. But whenever it cuts away from those moments because an action or a new character appears you'd end up with that same frame, remember Sammy Jenkins, and he'd continue on with the story from there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, that's just the mark of some really sharp storytelling. So I think from the very beginning, it's setting up, and Sammy Jenkins itself is another narrative moment to continue to explain and help the viewer understand just exactly how this uh, short-term memory loss, this amnesia works. Mm. And so you start to get an idea of what the rules of this man's brain and what in fact we're dealing with and I think what the best way to feel is that what we're dealing with is someone who thinks he can trust his own logic and his own leaving of clues for himself knowing that he's going to forget and watching his systems because he's got all these systems he talks about I've got all these systems watching him (laughs) practice his systems practice writing notes practice taking polaroids practice prepping tattoos for important information. Mm, mm. But then you're also seeing other smaller details where you think, well, why did he make that leap? That's actually, that seems a bit extreme. Mm. That note, he could, he could read it one way or write it one way and then read it another. And you start mm. to see that. And yeah. So I, I just, yeah, again, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I love the fact that we we get to uh, really understand how, <clears throat> how the rules work with um, this character right in the beginning. I think that was such a, um important piece of the puzzle 
to get over and done with for the audience to understand that these are the rules for this guy that has amnesia. Um, this is how he is going to start piecing things together. This is his system. And, I, you know, he's, like you said, he's very vocal about having systems in place. Mm. And I'm not sure if it's in this first act or maybe even the second act that he talks about why systems are far more reliable than memories. And he's actually got a really good point. I remember writing down a quote about it. I mean, not a quote, but just writing down one of the lines that he says. I'm pretty sure it's like in the second act. but When he's on the phone? No, when he's um, in the diner and he's talking with... Um, Carrie Ann Moss's character, Natalie? No, or no, no. Is no, he no. talking to Teddy? Oh, he's talking to Teddy, yeah. He's, he's in the diner talking to Teddy and he says... Oh, here, I've got it here. He says, memories are interpretation not a record hmm. i think that's such a key quote for a movie like this memories sure. are interpretation not a record because he's he's making a case right to he's making a case to teddy that um memories are not reliable everybody's always gonna like forget something and everybody's gonna reinterpret something whether it's like a word or an object or a color they're gonna reinterpret it slightly different from what actually happened. And he's actually got a really good point. So I love the fact that we get to have some stability around the character, um, mm. Lenny, so that he's not just a completely vulnerable guy by having this amnesia problem or this amnesia issue, but he's clearly a smart guy that is mm. utilizing a bunch of skills that he's learned as a field investigator, as a, what was he, a claims investigator a claims in his previous job. Yeah, which is, uh, is such uh, a genius way to write cynical the person, you know. Like he's, a, <laughs> yeah. he's a cynical yeah. person who doesn't trust what people say because yeah. he, he has to listen to people's stories all the time as an insurance Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and then it becomes like an inner conflict for himself, you know, as the story progresses, it becomes like an inner conflict for him to think, well, I, I guess I can kind of understand why people yeah. wouldn't trust whatever I'm saying because I have lost my memory <laughs> because he's been in the same shoes. Um but yeah, I, I just love the fact that this first act determines who the character is, what the rules are, and how we're going to navigate throughout the story. Um, the characters that we get introduced pretty quick is, um, let's say Teddy. You know, I mean, we see Teddy die in the beginning, but he doesn't mm. really die, I guess, because we see him um, throughout these kind of vignettes of memories and whatnot. But yeah. Um, it's still kind of undetermined whether he actually dies, you know, <laughs> we're not really sure. Um, or at least I wasn't sure. I was like, okay, wait, really? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this memory means that he did die, you know, because it's right in the beginning. And yeah. then, but then, I, and I don't want to talk about the ending yet because it's going to be fun when we get to the ending. But, Let's you know, talk but about that at the end. Cause, um, uh, cause I, this I, is actually, I, I, I never, I've, I've always trusted that ending, but, now in retrospect and even as you just said that <laughs> man things are unwinding so yeah cool let's jump back to let's jump teddy back to die. that's I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just put that as a little Watch tab yeah, did, uh, yeah. did teddy die actually. it's pretty important because what i want us to really talk about because i want to hear your thoughts if you've made theories <laughs> about the ending and stuff because i've looked yeah. at i've looked at the internet recently about memento and how people are trying to um bring conclusion to the ending because a lot of people are a little bit confused um, but anyway, we'll get to that. Um, so, yeah, the introduction of these characters, is, it's mainly Teddy. We get to um, we get a good feel of who Teddy could possibly be. But, you know, I think the first thing that we see 
the first piece of clue that we see for Teddy from Lenny is the photo. I'm not sure. Actually, it is an act one. Yeah, he shows he shows the camera the photo that we, he shouldn't trust Teddy. I, I'm pretty sure this is right in the beginning. That's the first clue that we get of Teddy. Um, and, yeah, it's just such a great way to introduce the film, having all the rules, the characters, and we know who to really look out for and who to focus on. And the photos, I mean, such a genius idea um, for a character who has amnesia, you know, having photos and tattoos and, like, written messages everywhere. And, yeah. you know, when he's sitting in the hotel and he's, like, looking at his body and stuff, uh, what's the first message that's, like, written on a a packet uh, or something? It says, like, shave, like, you must shave or something like that. Yeah, I think he's got it sticky taped to his leg. Sticky taped uh, to his leg, yeah. And says, uh, shave this, and it says, fact number six, car yeah, license. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, which, again, that's for the ending. But, yeah, that um, <laughs> that that sense that in this man's systems, he keeps image collection in Polaroids. He mm-hmm. puts tabs on people through those Polaroids and writing notes. He then mm-hmm. has small scrawled things like dates for meetings and short-term things that he knows he won't need. And then he has prep for tattoos of important information. And the tattoos always relate to who was the man that killed my wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's that, that there, there's a tier of systems that he has in place according to how important an information should be. And in many mm-hmm. ways, it's like memory. All of these different systems are in accordance with how important these things are to be remembered or not. Yeah. Um, or how I think that's also. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's also our instinct, our instinctual, instinctual behavior when it comes to memorizing things as well. You know, the mm-hmm. tear system. Um, it's like when you're trying to fend for your safety, for example. Um, mm-hmm. You're gonna have like a series of things that you quote unquote remember. That's like your mm-hmm. system for defense. But um, yeah, and, and and if you think of it as a movie as basically information gathering. You have two other points, uh, and these are points of censorship and erasure of information. So mm. I think one of them is literally censoring. It's I think at one point you see blacked out text, and at other points he'll cross out information that he has on people and then write new information. Mm. Uh, but another really pivotal thing is fire and how he uses fire to erase things that he wants to forget or right. other people want him to forget. Um, mm. And that... Yeah, clever. It's Simple. pretty metaphorical as well. I think a, a lot of the things that happen in this film, it's uh, it's a metaphor for how we deal with things generally anyway, mm. um, like the burning of that photo. So in Act 2, we are introduced to a bunch of colour sequences that are shown in reverse chronology. Uh, the story's chronology... Oh, sorry, in the story's chronology, Leonard... Self directly gets a tattoo of John G's license plate. Finding a note in his clothes, he meets Natalie, a bartender who resents Leonard because he wears the clothes and the and drives the car of her boyfriend, Jimmy Grant. Now, also at this point, we don't know that Natalie is that Natalie has that knowledge of recognizing that it's the same clothes yeah. and the car. Yeah. Obviously she knows as a character, but we don't know that as an audience member because we still haven't gone through that because we're in Lenny's mind. 
Um, and so this whole introduction with, with Natalie, um, I'm going to throw it at you. What do you think about the just the things that we're learning about her? Did you suspect anything? Were there, um, did she play a good, uh, what am I trying to say? Did, did, did her role actually make sense in this introduction of the story? I think it did. I think there's something that Nolan does early on and in the film, which in each color sequence, there's a little aha moment. Uh, the aha moments are sometimes small things, such as when Lenny first explains to the hotel owner that he has short-term memory loss, which is a way for us as the audience to know. Uh, and then the hotel manager goes, hi, Lenny. And it's like, oh, you know my name. And it's like, I've told you this before, right? And I think with Natalie, what's really interesting is she becomes a, a starting point for understanding not just the small aha moments, but some of the big ones. So her character particularly, I think you start with these concepts of her from the way she talks to Lenny, how she looks beaten up, and you wonder why she's so worried. And then you start to realize with small aha moments and then bigger and bigger ones that she is very aware of who Lenny is and is manipulating him and using him. And I think Carrie-Anne Moss does such a brilliant job of, of portraying that and going from one, seemingly one person to another completely different person um, within the same scene. And then you see within separate cuts of mm. scenes as well. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty cool little um, introduction for her because um, also at this point, I'm, I'm still thinking that everybody is going to be a suspect, mm. right? Um, and that's the first thing I thought about Natalie. Like I just immediately thought to myself that she is going to be a suspect because we're seeing this through the eyes of Lenny and, and Lenny can only remember the things ahead of him. Well, mm. sorry, not the things ahead of him can only remember the things that just happened. Um, but also what the one thing that I find that is, not quite clear and it seems like it's intentional in the film mm. is that we don't know at which point he starts to forget like there's no uh, kind of like 24 hour thing there's no like 12 hour marker right there's yeah. it's always kind of just at some point he forgets yeah there's uh i, I, I think the the film leaves certain elements ambiguous and other elements less ambiguous so do you think that's intentional I think it is intentional because I think there is at least one color sequence where in that one sequence you see him forget. Uh, I'm trying to remember yeah. exactly which one. And and so I think it actually is. Yeah, it is in one of the scenes with Natalie where you watch him um, through a scene and you just at the end of the scene, you watch uh, Natalie who's in the room with him. She leaves the room and then she comes back in slamming a door and at that point, I think she's aware that slamming a door can be a trigger for him to sure. reset his memory. Yeah. And so I think Nolan's really clever in that scene. He just extends it a little bit longer so that you have a little picture of what it looks like mm. when he forgets his memory. I think there's another yeah. moment when he's on Dodd's bed after he's um, just been in a fight and has been beaten up and he's just had a shower and put on fresh clothes. <laughs> and you see him wake up. And uh, I, I might be misremembering that, and uh, that is a little trick of this film, yeah. is that I think even as you watch it, you have lapses of memory, 
Mm. Uh, and that's very intentional in the way that he shoots it. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, and, and that scene particularly with the Dodd sequence, and I know we're kind of jumping around here a little bit, but um, in that Dodd scene, we we revisit that scene, I think, three times is what I counted, right? The first time we visit it is right at the end. And in his apartment, in his apartment, where he rev- where he sees that daughter's in the closet. The second time is when he takes the shower, or has he just taken the shower? Oh, it might actually be four times then, because there's so a, four times. Yeah, initially there's him in the shower, and I think with the the, the whiskey bottle. Yep. And then you have him on the bed and Dot in the closet. Yeah. And then before that, you have him putting Dot in the closet and beating him up. Yeah. And then before that, you have the car chase. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the chase sequence. Oh, no. You have the chase sequence in the car yard first. Oh, no. Yeah. See, yeah, there yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah. Confused. So maybe it's like four or five times. Maybe I just totally like forgot that. But it is like the most action-packed part of the movie. Yeah, it is. It's hard it is, to keep is. track of what happened in that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's actually yeah. right at the pinnacle of this film. Yeah. Um, it's, it's sort of at the apex of this movie where that chase sequence is happening and the introduction of the dog character and, and him forgetting um, or us like getting exposed to how long it takes for him to remember something and then also forgetting. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's such a powerful moment when he's, um <laughs> when he, he does get back to the apartment and he's, he's trying to settle down a little bit. He looks for the wine, or the whiskey bottle and grabs it, sits on the, the, the toilet and then forgets and then has a chow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually really well done, but it's also kind of scary. It's very scary. Well, it, it's baffling because I think in that moment, particularly with the whiskey bottle, him in the bathroom and then him in the shower, you go from a man who's ready to attack someone in their apartment <laughs> to then thinking he's drunk then thinking this is his apartment and I should have a shower. And it all happens in such quick succession mm. uh, that when you first watch the scene and he has a shower, there's no tension there yeah. because he's like, oh, he's just in he's his apartment having a shower. A shower. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly in the second scene, you're like very tense because, you know, that's not his room. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that um, there is something, and, and this is a very, very much a Nolan trope, is playing on the fears of the audience and uh, the audience knowing things that the protagonist does not. Correct. Yeah. Um, whilst at the same time, Nolan does something very clever here where we follow the protagonist's story and only know as much as he knows. And what he knows isn't even fallible. Uh, it's mm. not necessarily the truth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, like, coming back to the Natalie character, you know, the first thing that we learn about her is that she's she has um, a story that she also wants to tell to the audience. And that story is something to do with some betrayal that she is going through. She's dealing with two particular characters. One is Jimmy Grants or Jimmy G. Um, and, and then the Dodd character that's involved in that kind of triangle is really just, uh, like a hitman, a hitman. Yeah. A hitman to try and, um, get his way and and get his reward, I suppose, out of it. But he's he's kind of like a a disposable character, mm. um, especially for Natalie too. <clears throat> so yeah, I I didn't believe like Natalie to be um, a love interest or a shining jewel to this story of investigation that Lenny is trying to figure out. <clears throat> so. Um, after that, you know, understanding the condition, she uses it to get Lenny to drive a man named Dodd. I think I explained this before. Um, to drive a man named Dodd out of town, offers to run the license plate as a favor. Meanwhile, Lenny meets a con- 
meets with a contact, Teddy, who helps with Dodd but warns about Natalie. Um, Lenny finds that he had previously annotated his polar word of Teddy, warning himself not to trust him. Natalie provides Lenny with the driver's license for a John Edward Gamel, Teddy's full name, confirming Leonard's information on John G and his warnings. Leonard drives Teddy to an abandoned building leading to the opening where he shoots him. So <clears throat> this whole this whole part of us learning about Teddy's real identity didn't really come until later in the film. And, I, and I'd say that's probably like tethering on the beginning of Act 3 rather than an Act 2 itself. Um, that's a huge reveal. But then also we start to see that Natalie is falling apart a little bit in her like dishonest and her like distrust too. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, it's something that happens for each of these characters that even as you don't trust them because they all in many ways are their own antagonists with their own goals, they all have a want to utilize Lenny's short-term memory loss and his gullibility to their own advantage. But at each point, they all have a, a moment where, and I love this, they have their evil villain monologue moment. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what's fantastic about this film is that because of the, um, the concept, those evil villain monologue moments happen at the end of the film. But in reality, they happened earlier in, this t- in the timeline of these villains because mm. they know they can say to Lenny whatever they want. And they know that he's going to forget it. Mm. And um, I love that that kind of point, that that cracking, um, the, the breaking point for Natalie uh, is something which the audience gets an eye into. And um, it isn't to her downfall, but later on we see that that villain moment uh, happens for Teddy and it is his downfall. Mm. Uh, and I think that's just, again, oh, Nolan killing it. <laughs> yeah. He's too smart. He's too, too smart, smart for everybody. He's just so, so clever. It's like, even though he's made this film, and as we're watching it, he's still like 10 steps ahead of the audience. Yeah. It's insane. Let's talk a little bit about um, Sammy Jenkins and his wife. You know, so which is, his wife's name only has a first name, mm. right? Sammy Jenkins has a full name. There's, there's a couple of obscure characters that only have first names. We oh, yeah. don't know. She's, oh, she's Mrs. Jenkins. Oh, sorry, yeah, Mrs. Sorry, Jenkins. Yeah, so yeah, second yeah. Names, yeah. Yeah. So I, I wonder what that whole that whole thing means that we only get one name for a couple of characters, mm-hmm. and then someone like Mrs. Jenkins, she's literally just Mrs. Jenkins. Yeah. So let's talk about like Sammy Jenkins and Mrs. Jenkins for a second. So we learned about the fact that he's under the same conditions, mm-hmm. and he is a character that has been under investigation, or let's say the family the husband and wife have been under investigation by the insurance company. Um, and that's Lenny's character who is the claims investigator. Mm-hmm. And he has to go in and try and justify the insurance claims. Yeah. Right. Um, so as a, as a wife, you know, it, it seems very natural that she would behave and react that way that the, the, the agency is not 100% willing to give, or to satisfy the claim because this this guy could be faking it. Yeah. Right. Well, I th- <laughs> I guess the question that Lenny poses and 
has he monologues uh, on, over the phone and all the black and white sequences. His question, his constant question um, around Sammy Jenkins is, was he faking? Was, it, was he not faking? And for Lenny, does he believe that he's faking? Uh, and I think there's a point in the film where Le- Lenny decides he wasn't faking, but it wasn't a physical condition. It was a psychological condition. And so he can pose. Oh, you reckon he believed that it was physical, uh, sorry, psychological. That it was a psychological thing. Because doesn't he say. Well, I think in the, in the film, he makes the case to the insurance company as, as he says it, he narrates that he made a case to the insurance company. It wasn't physical. Right. But he didn't, I think, make the case that it was potentially psychological. Right. But he believed or potentially thought that that might be the case. And that leads to him getting mm. promotion and progressing in his career and Sammy, Sammy Jenkins and his wife getting nothing right. uh, out of it. And so I think there's, <clears throat> uh, there's this element for Lenny too where he knows a truth and he tells a different truth in order to dismiss Sammy Jenkins yet he still holds on to that other truth that maybe this isn't fake. It isn't physical, but mm. it's not necessarily fake. It could be psychological. And I think what uh, we are then led to believe or start to dive into is this Sammy Jenkins story, if it is true for Sammy Jenkins that it could be psychological, is the same disease or the same um, uh, disability. This, yeah, Is this also a psychological thing for Lenny? Mm-hmm. And if so... Can we trust any of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and this is this is the battle that he has to deal with is that he he probably has to um, think within himself if he made the right choices with that whole case with Sammy Jenkins, considering that he has that same condition now. Yeah. Um, and he would he he would be constantly like this is what I find interesting is that he 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 doesn't actually go down a road of being complete psychosis or being um uh like a sociopath because because i can imagine this condition and knowing that you dealt with somebody with the same condition if not he had the worst condition Mm. and you're probably thinking to yourself i could probably go down the same road as sammy jenkins and get worse just like him Mm. you know you you'd think that he'd be a sociopath at some point but He's more concerned, and this is what the movie does so well, he's more concerned about figuring out the case. Yeah. Well, he um, he doesn't want, and, and I guess that whole tattoo of Remember Sammy Jenkins is for him mm. a reminder to say, yes, that could be me. Yeah. And I think at another point in the film he says, I'm better than Sammy Jenkins. Yeah. I have systems. I have yeah. rules. I have uh, ways to retain memory. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, one of the beautiful elements to the film is that, Lenny's systems become his memory. Lenny's systems become his brain. And he says, look, these are actually better than your memories because your memories yeah. can be forgotten. But exactly. this, this, like, this Polaroid, this note, this tattoo, these things are actually yep. more tangible and they're better catalogs of my memory mm. and I have control of them. <laughs> yeah. But does he? <laughs> That's, exactly. <laughs> there, there is a point in this film where I thought to myself, it would have been it would have been really cool to explore his former self as a claims investigator yeah. a bit more to m- maybe that's how he, like I'm only just assuming that he has all these skills because of the, like him being so good 
as a claims investigator before, right? Yep. Having systems in place, mem- memorizing your, not memorizing everything, but writing everything <laughs> down and having like, notes. yeah, bulletproof systems to make sure that he doesn't forget. It would have been great to explore that at like in a, in a former life from when he was an investigator. Yeah. But I guess like the film probably would have been like way too bloated. I think the film addresses it too with all of these antagonists, because I don't think any of the antagonists, whether it's the simple ones like the hotel manager who is an antagonist in a small way where he is just manipulating Lenny, knowing that because he has systems, they can be foibled and he rents in heaps of rooms to make money. Or you can have Natalie who's using him to get rid of someone, or you can have Teddy who dot, dot, dot. We'll get to that in a second. But these people Mm. are all using him because those systems must work uh, to some degree but those systems they know can be manipulated. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think another element that um, is great in Lenny's system, which he starts to, um, or we start to see the cracks in, is that he trusts certain things more than he trusts other things. So he trusts his tattoos the most, Mm -hmm. and they're all to do it with following and catching his wife's killer. But things that someone else wrote down, he doesn't trust them as much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And anytime he sees someone with, information that he has from a prior moment he wants to always be double checking that yeah so i think there must be at least six times where he asks john g are you teddy (laughs) in the film and he's like yeah yeah and at some point he says (laughs) yeah and he said and he said it's like yeah yeah i'm teddy or i can be whatever you want me to be but then at another point says yeah call me teddy and um, so you just starting to those get those are actually clues, I suppose. They are, right? yeah, they are well, clues of us thinking maybe his name isn't Teddy. Yes, but, but I then, wasn't thinking. But that. then I also think, oh, it could be Teddy because he's John Edward Gamble, and Edward could also be Teddy. So it's just his middle name that his mum called him. Yeah. Um. So those those things, they have such a nice, and this is it. It's um, it's Nolan using the usual detective mystery things tropes that you find in films that are so linear that Sherlock Holmes finds a clue and it's obviously to do with the case. In this film, there's 50, 50 clues and right. all of them are red herrings. None of them are actually real clues, but he uses and treats them all as if they're real clues. And because of that, bad things happen. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is a very, very good point. Um, let's talk a little bit about the prostitute because she mm. also gets introduced into act two. Mm. Um, I I feel like you have quite a because you mentioned it before. I think I feel like you have a little bit to say about this, so I'll let you take the floor. Okay. For I can't even remember her name. Like what is? Oh, her so name? in in uh, on IMDb they just call her the blonde. So she's oh, another right. nameless yeah, character. Yeah. Nameless character. Um, actually, aside from Natalie, all the uh, other female characters in the film are nameless. So Lenny's wife is Lenny's wife, and that's right. Sammy Jenkins's wife is Mrs. Jenkins, and mm. then she's just known as the blonde, uh, which. You know, it could raise the question, is Natalie even Natalie? And yeah. she gives him a name at the point when he takes a photo of her. But That's right. there could be a false truth in that. Mm. So the blonde is another one of those aha moments where in watching a scene, which is taking place later in the timeline, you have this unsettling element of, is this, um, yeah, is, is, is he sleeping with her? Is this... Uh, something which has had a sadistic beginning to it. Uh, what's going to happen in the scene um, coming up? <laughs> like, do, do we do we want to understand more about um, his relation with this prostitute? Uh, you then find out that this um, this um, meeting that he has organised is 
a way for him to grieve his wife, uh, which I, um, yeah, I found quite chilling and um, quite, quite, quite sad as well that there is mm. this, this element or this longing that he really wants to, if nothing else, reclaim some, something from his past, something mm. from uh, his, his previous life before his wife had been killed. And so he gets this bond uh, to, you know, just handle, <laughs> but don't, don't, don't use any of these old trinkets that belong to his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, um, yeah, I found it like a really strange element to this story because it, it does just kind of break you away from the narrative for a bit. It does. Yeah. But it, um, it also brings you into the other narrative, which is the narrative that's going on in Lenny's head yeah. to do with his wife. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think, um, you see, like, you're, you're right about saying that it does give us a little bit of a break. It gives the audience a little bit of a break from what's happening in the film because the film is quite heavy. Mm. It's quite heavy intellectually, um, and there's just so much information for you to try and grasp, hold on to, and try and memorize. <laughs> And so it's nice to take a little bit of a breath, but I personally found if I, if I was to be quite critical of this film, which is, it's quite hard, you know, um, it's quite hard to be very critical of this film because the film is just like aced it. Um, and this is my attempt to be critical on this aspect, which is, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit of a distraction because um, I see what the character is going through and I see um, why the character would find this quite important to do, mm. but it it also feels a little inconsistent to how the character has been behaving this whole time. Yeah, right. Yeah. It it um it actually kind of doesn't let you root for Lenny. Yeah, I think for a, quite a while in this film, you're on Lenny's Lenny's side because you feel that he's been wronged, and mm. you feel like even with Natalie, you, mm. you you can tell that something's off with her, and you're annoyed that she's not on his side. But as yeah. you understand later, you're like ah. Oh. Actually, I get why she's pretty annoyed at it. <laughs> um, I think with this moment too, it's another one of those moments in the film where at first you're on Lenny's side and it's quite jarring because you start to lose some respect for him mm. uh, and respect for what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, did that? Was that definitely a turning point for you and how you saw him as a character? Yeah. I, I um, like at, on this particular moment where he meets the prostitute known as the blonde, it's... Um, it, it does feel like a little offbeat and inconsistent to how the character is behaving because, you know, we know that he does the same thing. Mm. It's like there is a massive element of Groundhog Day mm. that happens with the character because he's lost his memory and he's trying to just figure out what the clues that he's left behind for himself. Mm. Um, and then when he decides that he wants to be involved with the prostitute as a way to try and, like you said, reclaim the things that he didn't, that he had once upon a time and maybe elaborate a little bit more. And also, you know, he's a guy, so he needs to have sex every now and then as well. Mm. But um, it just, the the movie had been so solid and so coherent in its own narrative up until that point, in my opinion, because I feel like he deviates away from his system, yep. the system that he's so familiar with. Um and 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 we know that the memory thing only lasts like less than twenty four hours or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I I feel like he's he's done so well, or I should say the writers like Jonathan Nolan and Christopher Nolan had done so well up until this point, where I just feel like 
I understand the intent behind the scene and in introducing a character like this, yeah. but I feel like it doesn't serve the story in the greater scope. I guess you could say that this scene, um, and there's, there's tears to it, this scene, Natalie herself, Sammy Jenkins and his wife, all give narrative elements to Lenny's story with his wife. Mm. But maybe that in this scene, these are probably the weakest of those, or yeah. in many ways, they're the most furthest apart, this, yeah. this relationship that he has with the blonde, which is very, very distant, mm. uh, being that she's um, she's paid, he's, she's been paid by him just to do these things. Sure. It's the most distant. And then yeah. the Natalie relationship seems closer and the Semi Jenkins and his wife's relationship seems much closer because it's his story that yep. he's telling. So I think um, I think there's yeah, it, um, I like that it does add something to that story. But I understand what you mean. Where yeah. it could, yeah, in many ways, it's a very tight little film. Uh, it could have been something that wasn't necessary. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it could have been filled with um, maybe exploring a little bit more of his past. You know, like yeah, what I was saying before. Or as an investigator, as a husband and wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would yeah. have been a bit more, or maybe just give us a little bit more on the wife. But, but also, it's it's very intentional that Nolan wanted to keep the wife out of the story. Yeah, because it's it's focused on Lenny himself. Yeah, so that's cool. But at least give us something of of him being a claims investigator. You know, like yeah. showing him what, like being the champion that he is at his job. Yeah, because I can only assume that he was amazing at his job. <laughs> well, I think this might come to a, another theory that we could uh, get to as we come to the conclusion of this movie as well, because <laughs> yeah. that um, these questions around Sammy Jenkins and his wife, and then. Uh, his own story that he's been telling about his wife and even all these tattoos that are written on his body about what happened to his wife, yep. which is the whole purpose of this film. There is a question, and this is very Nolan. The question is, did any of this actually happen? Mm. <laughs> what is truth? And if we understand that Lenny might have a psychological condition, any of the flashbacks and anything that we've seen or any of the stories that he's told that we haven't physically seen in this film, mm. Is any of it true? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's probably a very good segue into Act 3, I think. <laughs> um, so let's move into Act 3. Um, the start of this is a black and white sequence prompted by the caller. Lenny meets um, with Teddy, an undercover officer who has been who has found Lenny, John G., Jimmy, and directs Lenny to the abandoned building. When Jimmy arrives, Leonard struggles... Oh, strangles Lenny strangles him fatally and takes a Polaroid photo of the of the body this is also the photo that we saw at the beginning of the film Um, as the photo develops the black and white transitions to the final color sequence Um, and and so this is a big moment I was always kind of wondering I wonder I wonder if Nolan is going to show us that it goes from black and white and and slowly transitions into color. And and we finally get that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is kind of when the floodgates open as well. Lenny swaps clothes with Jimmy, hearing him whisper Sammy. As Lenny has told, uh, has only told Sammy's story to those he has met, he suddenly doubts Jimmy's role. Uh, Teddy arrives and asserts that Jimmy was John G, but Lenny is under uh, undeterred. Teddy claims that he helped him kill the real attacker a year ago, and he has been using Lenny ever since. Teddy points out that since the name John G is common, Lenny will cynically forget and begin again, and that even Teddy himself has a John G name. Further, 
Teddy claims that Sammy's story is Leonard's own story, a memory Leonard has repressed to escape feelings of guilt. <laughs> Woo! Damn. That's huge. Actually, like, you know, but before, before we even, like, crack down into this Act 3, I, I do want to mention one of my favorite scenes just before it gets into this. This, yeah. this is, like, the, the scene. It's still the black and white scene before it gets to um, Lenny being introduced to Teddy as the officer. Yeah. And that's a, that's the scene where he's on the phone, and he's slowly peeling the fresh tattoo, and then realizes that that or not realizes he reads that his tattoo says "Never answer the phone." Oh my god! I don't know about you, but like my heart sunk, and I got the biggest chills ever because we he's been on this phone for the, the, end, whole, for the film. whole film, yeah. and we get to this, which is like the segue into Act Three, where it's a tattoo that is super fresh. Yep. And it says never answer the phone. Yeah. How did you feel about that scene? I remember it as this um, moment, and again, it's that moment of who can you trust and distrust, and what has Lenny seen and what has he not seen? What's he taken a Polaroid of and what is written? And I think the best thing about utilising the phone, well, there's two two amazing things. Firstly, the whole film, the, the telephone conversations, these monologues, or dialogues, but mostly monologues, yeah. have been a way for us to understand more about who Lenny is. And secondly, it's actually been a way for this mysterious caller to understand more about who Lenny is and how they can use him and utilize him. And it's it's nightmare because you've been trusting that phone call. You've thought, or maybe you haven't even really thought, that this is someone that Lenny can trust. And suddenly you realize he doesn't even remember who he's talking to, what he's told them, and that they are probably another one of his antagonists. And I was mm. like, whoa, yeah, chills. I got the biggest chills. chills, man. Like, it was such a great kicker because yeah. I, I, I never thought to myself, like, who, who is he really <laughs> talking to? Like, I never thought about that because I'm so involved with the monologue i know it's yeah you're like it's a dialogue because he's talking to somebody on the other side but for us um this is like the most objective part that we get of the film mm. you know the, the whole story in the color sequences are subjective it's from lenny's pr- perspective yeah. whereas with the phone call it's like objective where we're now observing what lenny is like describing to someone yeah, on the what, other he side. Says, what he says what he thinks what he believes yeah that's what he's he revealing his whole him. system pretty yeah. much to this like random person on the phone <laughs> um and i didn't even think to myself oh my god like we should really question who he's talking on the phone yeah because yeah. you're just so involved in this monologue and i think this is the brilliant stroke of genius that is chris Nolan in writing this film is um for us to just not be like give us any kind of rope to yeah. think that we should doubt whoever's on the phone. Yeah. And then when the tattoo appears, I'm like, oh, like it's just like it's such a scary moment. <laughs> it's a, a really scary moment. It's a, it's a perfect moment of Lenny being reminded of his system and reminding himself, the things in my tattoos are important. Never mm. forget them. And to see that, it, yeah, you're right. Absolutely, oh. absolutely. And it's and And it is the catalyst for what we then come into, which is, this scene, the scene and the rest of the story, which is everything that's been in color up until yeah. this point. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so this whole reveal here, you know, that happens, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy G arrives in the car yep. and this is the first time that we see that, okay, the, the car wasn't actually Lenny's car. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, and hang on a second. Lenny in this 
transition isn't wearing the clothes he's been wearing this whole film and exactly. suddenly Jimmy and G suddenly appears Jimmy Gs, yeah. and he's and wearing those clothes. But I actually didn't recognize that it was the same clothes. Yep. I think like, uh, Jimmy doesn't wear it as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Who's the actor for that, for Jimmy G? I'm, I can't remember. If you I don't think he's anyone familiar. But uh, he's Larry Holden. Larry Holden. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Larry Holden. Of course it's Larry Holden. Of course it's Larry Holden. Larry Holden's Larry in, Holden. He's in Insomnia as well. He plays he's the, uh, he plays he's the one other of the, detective. He's, well, no. he's one of the cops. Oh, he's one of the other cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's why I recognize him. I was like, why does he look familiar? Because he doesn't usually and have that moustache. And he's in Batman Begins as well. And he is in Batman. I think I he was plays. Like, he's very recognizable. I think he Batman plays a Begins. cop in Batman Begins. Yeah. 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 Oh my god. Yeah. Anyway, so like when he rocks up in the car, of course the big reveal that it's not his car yeah. and the clothes that that Jimmy G is wearing is is uh, the clothes the clothes that Lenny steals from him. Mm. But we, you know, we also you know jumping back to Act Two, we get a hint of that car not being his. Yeah, you know, with uh, Natalie when he rocks up in the driveway and Natalie she's like puts her head down. You rock up wearing those clothes and driving that car. Is that no, no, no. Right? She, 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 she puts her head down and she goes, "Hey, Jimmy," and then realizes not Jimmy, it's Lenny. You know, and then Lenny's like, "Huh?" Like, he, I mean, he doesn't respond. She just says, "Oh, sorry, I thought you were somebody else." And then she walks off. And then she walks off. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I forget that little moment. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so so that's our little hint that it's not his car. Yeah, but I like it. It quickly like left my mind. I did, I didn't think for one second I was going to investigate the fact that it's not his car. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we we get into this part and Jimmy G rocks up and then he's he's here to actually meet um, Teddy, who yeah. is also John G. And Teddy has been undercover with this gang that Jimmy yeah. works with that Natalie is involved with that Dot is a badass in. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, this is where all the cards get put on the table. Teddy starts to say that, oh, the reason why I'm a part of this is because, you know, I wanted to get a cut for myself as well, yeah. even though he's the one that's supposed to be putting someone like Jimmy G away, yeah. but he wanted to get a cut for himself because he's a corrupt cop. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that corrupt that corruption comes into play a, a little bit with Lenny, but mm. I feel like I feel like he's always been on Lenny's side. And and this is the this is the part where I sort of look to myself as a viewer of the film going I always thought that Teddy was just like the complete corrupt dude from the beginning. Ah, you yeah, know? yeah. I never for once. Never thought you can kind of. I never. Trust him yeah, yeah, yeah. He always had this kind of um, he's a creepy guy, and I think it's it's utilizing an actor like um, yeah, like, like Joe Pantoliano, where yeah. you're like, this isn't someone that you should trust. He's a bit of a rat. He looks like a rat. Yeah. He looks like, a and he pulls it off really well. And he does. He's yeah. very. Um, he's got that false friendliness. <laughs> it's, fake friend. Um, fake friend. Frank friendliness and you know uh, having him and Carrie Ann Moss having a little bit of this Matrix yeah uh, that's right. reunion yeah. Uh, slash this has been around the same the same year oh this after. this was um, after it's like yeah, two one, years after Matrix that's right so yeah. it's um it definitely I think though um, Nolan knows that and Nolan's playing into this sense that this is someone that can't be trusted and using actors for their archetypes that they yeah. usually play yeah and I think <laughs> with Teddy's character this is again that question of who are the true antagonists and who are the false or the less dangerous antagonists. And you're right. There's this sense with Teddy that yes, he's using um, Lenny for his own game, but he's also not pure evil. Yeah. Yeah. He's a corrupt cop. Yeah. He still has some form of justice. Mm. And we hear that in how he and Lenny's relationship works in the first place. But I think what is, um, Interesting here, and Nolan uses this in his films a bit. 
Uh, and it's something that's very classic and cathartic. And part of, I think, why people love films with villains is that good films have the correct justice responses to yeah. their villains. Yeah. And the films that make you feel unsettled are the films where justice isn't done for a villain. That's a great right. example would be Avengers Infinity War, where the justice that you want for Thanos as the villain doesn't happen. Yeah. And that leaves you unsettled. Yeah. In this film, what happens to Teddy you feel unsettled because this has been the repercussions of something that Natalie did. Mm. And in many ways, something that Lenny himself is responsible for, but not fully responsible. For. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, it's brilliant. It's very, it's very clever. It's so good. I mean, like the, this, this reveal is, is like the very well earned exposition that happens between Teddy and Lenny, you know, when Teddy is telling him this whole thing of like how you've, uh, I've just come along for the ride basically. Yeah, and yeah. I'm just trying to be like the supportive friend slash cop, more of a f- cop, cor- uh, sorry, corrupt cop and, and then a friend, yeah. not the other way around. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's such a great piece of dialogue between the two of them. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you're thinking about good exposition in a film, it has to be earned. And it has to be to a point where you've displayed everything possible on screen, you know, demonstrating everything on screen before you just stand there and you have a character talking about the whole, yeah. whole thing. You know, all of these elements of Teddy from everything you've observed. And, you know, all of these yeah. elements of Lenny from everything you've observed. Yeah. And you know now that Teddy's been on the phone to him. Teddy yeah. knows all this stuff. He knows all this stuff. And then yeah. you know even more from Teddy because you understand that not only does he know this stuff, he knows all the stuff about his wife. He was there. He was actually part of that whole incident as a police officer at the time. So suddenly, yeah. all of this becomes so personal and so real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Joe. Yeah. Joe um, Pintoliano does such a brilliant job yeah. in this in this moment. Um, still, and 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 there's this. I, I like what Joe. Um, what he does. What um, Teddy does in this whole film is he treats Lenny like a child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, and he keeps doing it here and. This is that little, you know, villain monologue moment that gets him killed uh, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. Um, but he kind of has to treat him like a child, right? Like, yeah, it's um, exhausting. It would, it's exhausting. It I mean, be you, able to help you'd yourself. have to. Like, can you imagine being someone's friend when they constantly forget who you are yeah. and constantly tell you the same things and have this one thing on their mind and yeah. you know that they've already accomplished that thing? Yeah. Like you can't. You can't win. Like you, you can you can say all the bad things you want about Teddy, but he was like the most loyal guy to him. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and he, he kind of gave him a purpose for his life. He gave him a purpose for his life yeah. because he knew that he was always going to forget. Yeah. Um, and this this is where it gets a little like it, like it, it's such a dawning moment for me when I'm watching this because this all concludes to a point where Teddy. When he's when he's confessing this whole thing, mm. Lenny burns a photograph of Jimmy. Yep. Um, and then in the monologue, he explains that he is willing to lie to himself in order to get justice against anyone who has wronged him. Mm. He therefore targets Teddy by ordering a ordering a tattoo of Teddy's license plate number and writing a note to himself that Teddy is not to be trusted, so that he will mistake Teddy for John G and kill him. Leonard drives off in, a, in Jimmy's car, confident that despite this lie, he will retain enough awareness of the world to know that his actions have consequences. Ooh. That's pretty much the ending of the film. Yeah. And 
like this kind of leaves me in a point where you know remember like i saw this film a long time ago i didn't see it in 2000 when it came out i saw it i think in 2005 yep. i think it was like the same year that batman begins came out yeah um i saw his film memento and i was like this guy is a creep of a filmmaker i mean not creep in a bad sense but this guy is like a creep a genius yep. uh intellect like he's the most insane filmmaker i've ever seen up until that point i i was like floored watching this film and then when we get to the end of it i was like there's no real happy ending to this movie no like there's i'm still left with being very uncomfortable with the character and and also this film ends at its middle so yeah (laughs) in a space where all you can do now is mentally play out everything that happened in the color sequences Mm -hmm. after he dries off exactly because that is both the last color sequence and it's the first color sequence it's gonna then lead all the way back through to him coming back to that place mm. in a couple of days time and killing teddy yeah and that's so unsettling i um it's very unsettling I, i've watched this a few times over the years and um when watching this with my partner i remembered us feeling very sad about it and when i rewatched it just on monday i felt very down for a few days <laughs> and for the rest of that day i was just quite um, quite anxious and, and depressed because I think unlike other de- um, detective thriller stories where the resolution comes with the capturing of the bad guy sure. or the villain, this film in its own way has its happy ending in that once Lenny does kill Teddy at the end of this or the beginning of this story, he is now free from the burdens of these things. He has now created his own life mm. where he is firstly defeated the person that he thinks killed his yeah. wife. And secondly, created a new narrative where someone else, who is Teddy, has now killed it, like killed his wife, and he has now gotten vengeance for that. But in, in many ways, he's gotten vengeance, and then he is also not. He's lost some element of his, his humanity in doing so. It's very scary. It's very it's scary. Very yeah. scary. Like this was because this was like the first film that I saw of Christopher Nolan. I was like, is this guy just going to keep making films where there's going to be an open ending to a point where you're not entirely satisfied with the ending? But but I think I think um, with the way Nolan, ends, yes, and, you yes. know, we've seen pretty much every single Nolan Let's film now. Let's say the ambiguity of his endings can be dissettling. Yeah. Not that they, they can be satisfying and cathartic, but mm. they also lose some catharsis and I think is very intentional. I actually think they're very much not cathartic at all. <laughs> like, like, especially Memento, that's definitely not cathar- cathartic. But, but you know, um, what, what I would say is that he's such a good filmmaker that he justifies his endings. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'm able to take myself out of the ending, per se, because yeah. I think the ending is more just kind of my emotional reaction to it. Yeah. But, but when you look at the entire film as a film itself objectively when you're trying to analyze critique it right it's it's pretty freaking perfect like he you you can't fault him for like for what you would normally fault a lot of films that are quite average yeah um and this guy just doesn't he doesn't make um half-assed films like this guy doesn't want to just cash in films he wants to make films to make people think to make people uh to to sort of provoke emotionally Mm. um and he wants people to be talking about this for decades to come. Like he's mentioned this in an interview. I've seen pretty much like every single interview post his the release of his films. Yeah, you know, because I love doing that. For I mean, a lot of filmmakers, I like to do that. But especially with Nolan, I always like to look up the interviews that he's had 
during the press tour of his film or even like years later and you know speaking of interviews i i watched a youtube clip of him explaining memento <laughs> have you seen this no, no oh my gosh i'm, not, love I'm it. less i i have a and this this will be a fun element to us as we cast is i have a bit of a death of the author approach to anything i watch and, and consume okay watch and read and yeah even yeah. music wise uh, to some degree there's a there's an element of death of the author and looking yeah. at art um with that lens but then taking into account certain elements that i expect from from authors and particularly directors yeah um so when it comes to someone like christopher nolan or or another um (laughs) director author that um he takes a lot of cues from stanley kubrick right i like to enable a point where i stop and interviews about his films that's one of the areas i stop so what does he say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think with every single film that he's made to date, you know, yeah. he, hasn't, he hasn't really had an ending that was completely conventional satisfactory. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, yeah, I, um, I hear that. And I do, and I have felt that. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I like it... Uh, it's not dissimilar to life, you might say. Remember? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like, and, and I think this is kind of like what yeah. Nolan likes to do is he likes to reflect and sort of get people to ponder on like our life itself, yeah. how we deal with our everyday situations with these films that are um, a huge metaphor for our daily lives. Yeah. But yeah, in, the, in that interview, he... Um, it's so cool. Like the, the interview is about 15 minutes long and he explains memento and the storytelling. Yeah. Cool. So he has a chalkboard and he draws up like um, this diagram yeah, yeah. of, of how the story is told. And oh, man, this is what I love about him. Cause he's, he's such a, he's such a smart guy. Mm. And you know, when you have a British accent, it just makes you even more smarter. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why most of his, uh, even in, and well, there is this common Nolanism, which is, yeah that he uh, often has protagonists that are stand-ins for himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. In everything from their privilege to their blonde hair to That's their right. good looks. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. the chiseled jaws, but also yeah. to the ambiguity and that sense of um, well, a moral ambiguity, but also uh, an ambiguity of um, character and yeah. um intention intention that's yeah. always yeah. like that's always carries through in a lot of his films and it's 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 kind of like him you know when you yeah. this guy always dress in suits yeah he's always dressing in like collared shirts yeah. and like you know a tucked in collar shirt with a blazer or something yeah. Yeah. that's how he dresses when Pop he films color. his movies <laughs> yeah. and when you look at all his cast members and across most of his movies they're all in suits yeah like yeah. amazing costume design awesome suits anyway yeah back back to this interview He's describing how the story is told, and he 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 draws this diagram of a comb. I think he says it's a comb. Mm. He's like, you know, think of this like a comb. That's my <laughs> shitty accent. Yeah. Uh, so he draws a comb, but it doesn't even look like a comb. It looks like a torpedo or something. Yeah. And so, if you can imagine, you know, for the for the listeners, if you can imagine him drawing a torpedo type thing, and he puts lines in between the torpedo, and he says like. The top of the comb, but I'm going to say torpedo because it looks more like a torpedo. The top of the torpedo is the 
Um, the linear story? The, I think he says it's the black and white. Actually, it doesn't matter because we're talking about both things, you yeah. know, both the stories. He says, you know, the, the black and white sequence is going in this direction, going left, and the other, the other, the color sequence is going right, you know, so one's going in linear and one's going reverse. Yeah. Um, and he said, what we managed to do when we're filming this is that we just slot in the colored sequences in between the black and white sequences that yeah. yeah, we just slot them in sort of incrementally like a vignette of uh, short stories or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, like ah, a zipper, like a zipper. Yeah. yeah like a zipper. Exactly. <laughs> That's a really good analogy. So I thought you that was said like a zipper. Come oh, on, like a come zipper. on, Christopher Nolan. He always makes uh, his explanations too complex. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's funny, you know, when you're listening to him talk in interviews, he doesn't, he doesn't come across as the type of person that you would imagine him to be after mm. seeing his films. Mm. I think he's a, he's a guy that is very down to earth. He's a guy that's got a lot of humility. Mm. He seems like a very honest person as well. Mm. He doesn't seem like he wants to like rob anybody of anything. Mm. And I think this is quite important with a, with good filmmaking is that you don't want to rob the audience of of enjoyment and entertainment and and good storytelling. Yeah. And I remember one of the interviews that he spoke about when he was on tour with inception um the interviewee was asking a question along the lines of um how is it that you managed to you managed to make these films that are so large and scale and big concepts and big ideas you know after watching inception blah blah blah, blah. and then he sort of responds by saying well you know for me when i go to the movie theater I want to make sure that my time is valued mm-hmm. being in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. And I want to see a film that's going to entertain me, keep me thinking and have a huge impact on me by the time I leave the theater. Mm-hmm. That's his that's reason. His that's yeah. his goal for making films. And you can see that. Yeah. You can completely that. see that with all the films that he's made. He definitely has this sense that I don't want to ever dumb down things for an audience either. Yeah. And if they and this is great, the rewatchability of an Nolan film is built in this. That if they don't follow or understand something, that's okay. Yeah, that the story will happen regardless, and that if they don't understand something, they might ask questions and they might come back to it, and they might also find that the questions that they ask might never have actually been answered in the film in the first exactly. place. And that's yeah. that's a very um that's a very wise way to go about films, and that that enhances the longevity of these stories that he's telling that they're going to have relevance at later dates and have relevance in different times. Uh, and um, yeah, and that, that, that's, um, that's, you know, even uh, his, his uh, most recent release tenant has had its own. Um, yeah. Discussions that we'll get to when we get to our 10th review. Yeah. That, uh, being re-raised again, even not very long afterwards. And yeah, and yeah. um, that that's brilliant. That's uh, that's what we want, right? Yeah, it becomes movies that you're just going to talk about for a very, very long time. Yeah, it keeps us in business as a podcast. I know, right? <laughs> Speaking of which, um, we should we should probably try and wrap this up, right? What is our ranking? Can you just uh, tell the viewers? The viewers about, so my <laughs> what, what our rankings, our new official ranking system. Our is. new official <laughs> ranking system uh, is something I've been doing since I've been on the cast, but it's a a little way uh, in which we can like. Maybe die, um, die, die, not die, disseminate, oh, disseminate down yeah. uh, the the core um, maybe magic number for this film. And uh, so I look at I look at a few things. I look at the characters. I look at the plot. I look at the pace. We look at villain or villains or pro- uh, antagonists. 
Uh, we look at the concept, and with Nolan films, those concepts can have quite a weighty uh, element to them. And then lastly, we look at one thing that is like the magic, the magic. Uh, oh, let's say the the golden the golden. Uh, Nolan, Nolan, <laughs> Nolanisms of this film. Uh, right. When we talk about Marvel movies, I call it the Marveliness, and I think with Nolanisms, no, yeah. Nolanism is a good way. How Nolany is this how Nolany is a film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. I ended up ranking this film as eighty-six out of a hundred. Eighty-six out of a hundred. Yeah, I guess you could say eight point five out okay. of ten. Right. Um, the things that I feel like it lacked in were really just things like the story. But with Nolan's films, the concepts are so strong that the story needs to wrap around that concept. And I think he does well telling simple stories in complex ways because his concepts are so strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the, those concepts then are the main driving force for his film. Right. So 8.5, which I think is very high <laughs> in my ranking system. But what would you give it out of uh, 10 or 100? River? I would actually give this movie... And this is probably going to surprise a lot of people, but I'm not going to back down on it, and I'll die on this hill. <laughs> I'm going to give this movie a ten out of ten. Woo! Um, and you know, I, I think I think a lot of us are always quite fearful or apprehensive to give anything a ten out of ten, yeah. because a ten out of ten almost presupposes that it is a perfect film. Yeah, and. I don't necessarily see a 10 out of 10 as a perfect film. I see it as a way of honoring what it's worth. Mm. I see it as a way of um, uh, giving it the value that I think it deserves. So It squeezes the juice out of everything this movie could be. Exactly. I think it gives us everything that we, that when I say we, I guess I mean I, <laughs> it gives everything that I would like to experience in a film. You know, yeah. that's intrigue, it's mystery, it's uh, suspense, it's um, drama, it's great cinematography. It's it's kind of all these elements that I love about filmmaking. And this is why I love talking about films. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think we can, we can be pretty fearful and, you know, sort of scared to give anything a 10 out of 10. And if I was to give a 10 out of 10, I'd be pretty serious about it. And, you know, of course, you guys have listened to this episode for a long time now that, that there was a lot that we can actually talk about a great film. Yeah. And, and that's just a mark. Like me giving it 10 out of 10 is just a, it, it's a mark of, of saying that we can talk about this film for a very long time. And that's what makes it really good. So I think it earns a 10 out of 10. Do you think there'll be a few other 10 out of 10s in your Nolan? <laughs> Nolan uh, legacy. I feel like that's a spoiler for the cast. <laughs> uh, we'll see, guys. We'll um, we'll see you in the next cast. We will see you in the next cast. You know, and and for those of you joining us for the first time, you know, this is our very first. The next episode that we're doing is going to be Insomnia. Um, so that's going to be coming up very, very soon. I feel like maybe in a few hours. <laughs> um, but also um, some upcoming reviews over the next two weeks uh, will include movies such as Nightmare Alley, which is Guillermo del Toro's latest film. Um, also Spencer, King Richard and Ghostbusters. So expect those reviews to drop in the next couple of weeks. Nathan, where can everybody find you? Uh, find me on Instagram, guys. I'm at Sammy. And uh, NPSAMI, I'm just on there mostly posting about food 
this podcast and running. That's that's what I got you for because you post about food. Post all about food, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and be sure to follow Legit Cool Podcast on Instagram. That is at Legit Cool Podcast. My personal Instagram is at River at sorry at River underscore Villy. That is V I L I. Um, and make sure you hit the notifications button so you know when the next episode drops. For Legit Cool, I'm River Villy.